This season is one of my favorite seasons of the year. Nestled between Halloween, which is growing in popularity in our culture, and Christmas, which is massive in our culture, there's this incredible month called November. We are in it, and at the end of this month, this Thursday, we will celebrate Thanksgiving. You say, Josh, why is Thanksgiving your favorite holiday? Well, there's a couple of probably practical reasons why that's the case. The first one of them being um, there's really good food. Um, at Thanksgiving, and uh, just to be honest with you. Um, there's also not a lot of expectations on Thanksgiving. It's completely cool if I just eat the food, watch football, which is code for, take a nap, yep, and, uh, and then do whatever. So I love this holiday. I also love this holiday because it highlights a rhythm of our Christian lives that we ought to always be in. And that is a rhythm of gratitude, of being thankful. We are sitting in a building this morning. We advertised that we are going to be here. We encourage everyone to come. We stand outside with flags and tents and we worship in freedom today. For that, I am grateful. I'm thankful today that we did not have to tell you an address that you had to sneak to this morning and make sure that there were no authorities around so that you could come and worship freely. That does happen and did happen this weekend in this world that we live in. I am thankful for everything that we have. But most of all, I'm thankful in this season of who God is. I'm thankful for him. I pray that you have used this month and this holiday season to reflect a little bit. We're going to do that as a church later on tonight. I'm, I pray that we are a grateful and a thankful group of people. As the second song that we sang today said, God, you're so good and God is a good God. God is a great God. I'm thankful that we serve a God this morning that's so great that we can approach the explanation of his greatness from every angle imaginable. I can try to explain how great he is in all the words that I can come up with, and it still would not be able to adequately explain just how great of a God that he is. I believe a major part of, of understanding gratitude and biblical thanksgiving is an element the element of worship, praise, and adoration. How does a thankful heart, with filled with gratitude, how do we respond to the greatness of God? Let's take a look at Psalm 138 this morning. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly. Aren't you thankful? But the proud he knows from afar. 
Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Aren't you glad? Do not forsake the works of your hands. I want to jump right in this morning to our text. I want us to understand about, about this, this chapter in this text. Number one, the great worship of the Lord. The great worship of the Lord. By the way, that word worship there, there's a lot that goes into that word worship. It is not just uh, expressed with, with, uh, with music vocally. We'll get into that in a little bit. It is not, it's not just what you think it is. Worship is a way of life. Worship is everything we do in our lives that shows worth or value to Jesus. And that can be waking up tomorrow and going to work and being there on time and being a hardworking employee and being an honest uh, employee with integrity and, 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 and per- performing your job to the best of your ability through the Holy Spirit. That is an act of worship. It is an act of worship to parent your children in the way that God would have you parent your children. It is a way of showing him worth and value in the way that you treat your children for you are one of his children. You see, it's all an element of worship this morning. I want us to see first, uh, 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 when we're speaking about worship, wholehearted worship that displays itself through singing, okay? The first verse in this text says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. And as I've mentioned, the word worship is not exclusive to music and singing, however, it is, an, it is an integral part of it. We can and should display our worship through music. I understand that our music here is not everyone's cup of tea. We didn't ask for it to be. Honestly, everything we do here is not my cup of tea. I'm the pastor, okay? It's all good. Let me remind you, we don't come to church to worship you. We come to church to worship Jesus. And a song that you may not like to hear, guess what? He loves to hear it. And I don't really like that style. Well, guess what? He created that style. For those that are so close-minded about that, I'm like, I hope that when you get to heaven, God has you like beside people that sing everything you don't like, and they're just singing out to God and worshiping Jesus for all eternity. And you got to sit there and listen to it. Listen, we're commanded to worship through music. And... and, and I don't want to take any liberties this morning with the text. May I just say um, a Joshology a little bit, an opinion of mine? I, I don't believe that you can be in tune with the Holy Spirit and be right with God and have opportunities to engage in musical worship and, and, and cross the arms and fold the hands and refuse to participate. You might not know the song. You may not be able to participate to the fullest ability. But our desire should be there. You say, I'm a bad singer. Welcome to the club, man. If you guys came to our church like two years ago, whenever Tim was not in here, it had to be me. You... <laughs> Brooks over there. Anyway, some of y'all remember. And it was like, Lord, have mercy. What songs can we do today that Josh can like? What can we start out and Josh pull away from the mic and just let everybody sing it? But listen, I, I'm terrible at singing. You know what, though? I love worship. I love singing. Ask my family. It annoys the mess out of all of them. Except Avery. She'll sing along with me sometimes. But, uh, but these two right here, 
What does the Bible say? You say, you say well, should, we guide, should we be guided by our talents? No. Psalm 96, verses 1 and 2. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. You know what it says here? It says, get up on Sunday morning and sing, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Sing his truth. By the way, anything that we do sing from this church ought to be the truth. Not every song we sing is deep, deep, deep doctrinally. I don't believe every song has to be deep, but every song needs to be right. And if we sing it theologically, it needs to be correct. And so we, we, we think through those things. And we, and we, we try to pick songs that, that has a singing of our salvation and the richness of his grace this morning. There's a natural posture of honor and adoration that forms when we sing heartfelt songs, not just about the Lord, but to the Lord. And there is a difference. Jesus has been good to this old country boy as I was sitting out on the front porch, you know, eating Cheetos and spitting tobacco. God's been good to this old boy. That's singing about God, but who are you really singing about? You're really singing about yourself. And I'm all for that, man. Go ahead. I just think there's a difference. When it's not God, it, honestly, this is a small, not, it's not God is so good. That's a testimony from me to you. I think there's just something about that change of a word. God, you're so good. You're, you are so good, and I'm singing to you right now. And in my worship and my singing, all of these people are here, but it's really me and you. And I'm singing to you. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. And so we see in this psalm, we see the, the, the worship displaying itself through singing. And by the way, uh, we did that this morning. We're going to have some opportunities tonight. We're going to do some hymns tonight as well, some hymn requests and things like that tonight. And so we're going to sing new songs. We're going to sing old songs. We're going to sing everything in between tonight as we just have a time of gratitude and thanksgiving. But not only wholehearted worship through singing, but secondly, wholehearted worshiping God the way he is to be worshipped. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name in your loving kindness and your truth. You see in this Old Testament passage there, they, there was a specific way and mannerisms and we've spoken about this as we've preached through those uh, portions of scripture before, but there were uh, requirements of worship of, of when and where and how. There were a lot of worship requirements, especially in the Old Testament. There were, there were requirements of, of, of the certain type of sacrifices that need to be made at certain amounts of times. And so not only was God wanting to be worshipped, but he wanted to be worshipped the way that he said that he wanted to be worshipped. He didn't want to be worshipped on our terms. He wanted to be worshipped on his terms. And I'm thankful, by the way, that I'm a, a New Testament Christian and not an Old Testament Christian. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thankful for that. But in the New Testament, we are to worship him in spirit and truth, he says. And listen, the temple of God, where's the temple of God in the New Testament? It resides in us. Listen, we are to be instruments of worship. We are to be, and we're to worship him the way he wants to be worshiped and how he wants to be worshiped this morning. May we worship him not just in spirit, but in truth. And may we this morning worship him not just in truth, but also in spirit. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a ditch on either side of the road, isn't it? I got all this truth, and the Holy Spirit ain't nowhere to be found. 
I got all this spirit and all this emotion and I don't know anything about the truth. Listen, may we not fall in either one of those ditches. May we walk down that road of balance as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. May we come to him and worship and worship him the way he desires to be worshipped. Wholehearted worshiping God the way he's to be worshipped. Thirdly, wholehearted magnification of the word of God. An element of our worship is staying grounded in this most important book. In fact, in this text in verse 2, it says you have magnified your word above all your name. That doesn't mean that the Bible is more important than Jesus, by the way. Chill. Read the rest of the Bible. But it does mean that everything we do, every decision that we make ought to have its foundation right here in this book. And if God's word says it, then it's true. It's true. You say, I don't like to hear it. That's, it didn't say if God's word says it and you like to hear it, it's true. If God's word says it, it is true. He has magnified his word and we should magnify his word today. This morning, I should not give, honestly, even in a sermon like this, I should not come up today and say, we're going to read one verse of scripture from Psalm 138 and I'm going to give you seven ways to be more thankful in this Thanksgiving season. No, we ought to magnify God's word. We ought to go through God's word. You say, well, it's not, it's not as easy to be practical. When you, that's fine. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I'll try to give you some practical applications at the end of the sermons every, every, nearly every week. But I'll let the Holy Spirit work on that. I want to magnify God's word. And seven steps to successful business venture is not found right here in Psalm 138. Seven steps to thanksgiving. It's not found right here. I'm preaching God's word the way God intended it, and that is what we do here. As we mentioned, we are 38 weeks into the book of Mark, and we got four chapters left. It is what it is. But we magnify God's word. God's word reigns supreme here. God's word is the foundation upon which we build this church. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood, Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. He was taught by his mother and his grandmother, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What's so important about that? All Scripture, it is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable. This book is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I didn't have this in my notes to do today, but you say, Josh, why do you preach the Bible the way that you preach the Bible sequentially, chapter by chapter and verse by verse? Here's why, because at the end of 2 Timothy 3.17, it goes directly into 2 Timothy 4.1. So he just speaks about the Bible, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped to every good work. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The very next verse, I charge you therefore. Timothy, because of what I just said about the Bible, this is what I'm telling you to do. Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will appear, who will judge the living and the dead and is appearing in his word. What does he tell him to do? Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. I believe I've said this here before. It doesn't have all caps. Preach the word. 
No, because of what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 said, I believe it says preach the word. Make sure the word is key. Why, does it, why do I believe that? Because if you keep reading, it says uh, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. That sounds exactly like what he just said the Bible does three verses earlier. Why do we preach the Bible? Because we believe the Bible tells us to preach the Bible. We will magnify as part of our worship. We will magnify God's word as a part of our worship. God's word is complete. God's word is perfect. Whatever it touches, your church, your family, your business, your marriage, your kids, wherever the Bible touches, we want to magnify it in our lives and have it be our guide mark, our GPS, our roadmap. It's a living, breathing organism. Fourthly, under this, wholehearted boldness exemplified in our lives. I'm not going to spend time here. Verse 3. The psalmist says, In the day when I cried out, you answered me. And you made me bold with strength in my soul. Man, we need some worshipers of a great God who get a hold of some boldness to stand. Some boldness this morning To say if God's word says it, that's the final answer. We need some people and some followers of Jesus in the culture in which we live in today who says, listen, this is what the word says, this is what the spirit says, and this is where I stand. With love, with grace, with mercy, but with truth. This is where I stand. I may not be able to explain everything to you of why why the Bible says that. I'm just telling you this is what the Bible says and where the Bible, what the Bible says is where I stand. Worship this morning. A part of Thanksgiving, a major part of Thanksgiving should be worship. And I, I would encourage you to make that a part of maybe your family uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe make that a part of if you are driving uh, somewhere even locally for Thanksgiving, why don't you throw on some worship songs between where you're leaving and where you're going and just make that a part of your Thanksgiving. Second main point this morning. First of all, we saw the great worship of the Lord. Secondly, the great glory of the Lord. What does it look like? We've mentioned as Peter, James, and John went up to the mount and saw Jesus transfigured, we talked about the glory of the Lord. I'm not going to rehash that. But simply put, the glory of the Lord is when everything that God is is displayed. It was displayed on Jesus in that moment. That's a very difficult kind of theological thing to think through. But everything that God was was displayed in Jesus at that time and his face was shining, the Bible says. But the great glory of the Lord, what does that look like? It looks like, number one, all the earth will praise. All the earth will praise. Look at verse four. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. David highlights the fact that once someone has seen has seen the glory of the Lord, has experienced whatever that may look like in your life, they have no other choice but to praise him and respond with worship and with singing this morning. Therefore, God, Philippians chapter 2, also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, 
Every knee should bow of, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen this morning. All the earth will praise. All the earth will acknowledge his glory, whether in this life or in the next. And as we think through gratitude and, and thanksgiving this morning, may we be a people today who experience the glory of the Lord and give him praise and honor and worship and adoration as a result. But not only will the earth praise, but the humble will be regarded. In verse 6, as we just walked through the text this morning, though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly. Aren't you thankful? How many of you would fit that lowly? I'm there. But notice this. But the proud he knows from afar. By the way, that's not from down south. That's not from a fire. It's from a distance. Okay? God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. There are not many instances in Scripture where it tells us that God will distance himself from us. But pride is one of them. And boy, don't I struggle with it. You can say amen. It's okay. Don't you struggle with it? Amen. I'll say it for you. In fact, nearly every sin that we struggle with, especially if it's a repetitive sin in our lives that we continue to struggle with, I'm convinced that so many of our sin problems in our lives begin with pride. The root of them is pride. Thinking of ourselves and what we want more highly than we ought to think disregarding what God has for us and thinking that we have the answers. But the humble will be regarded. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. He will lift you up. By the way, humbling does not mean that you, that you think of yourself none. Humble does not mean that you, uh, that you uh, talk down about yourself. Being humble actually means that you acknowledge who you are, but that you also acknowledge who God is. That's humility. Humility is not walk around with your head low, always down in the dumps, and I'm just humble. No, humility says I understand who I am in Christ. I'm a joint heir. I'm a child of the king, but I also recognize who God is. The humble will be regarded. And then lastly, I love this. The great protection of the Lord. And we're done. The great protection of the Lord, verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake 
the works of your hands. The protection of the Lord. It says that he will stretch out his hand against the wrath of his enemies. I want us to see his arm of protection. His arm of protection. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And may I say this morning, we can be grateful and thankful for one major truth today. And that is that you cannot run so far from God that his arm of protection cannot reach you. It is impossible. There is nowhere on this earth, there's nowhere spiritually, there is nowhere you can be where God's arm cannot reach you. You say, you don't understand, Josh, I'm too far from God. No, you're not. There's no such thing. His hand can reach. By the way, on the other end of that, God's called me to do this. I don't think I can do it. No, his arm can protect. It can protect. The protection of the Lord. I believe the safest place you can be in this entire world is right where God wants you to be. Wherever that is. You know why? Because his arm of protection is right there. Notice his enduring mercy and his protection. Verse 8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. What is mercy? What is mercy? Sometimes I take for granted that we that we explain these and that you already know these things. Mercy is the opposite side of the coin of grace. Let me tell you of grace. Grace is you getting those things that you don't deserve. Man, my family, that's God's grace. You guys, this church, that's God's grace in my life. That breath, that's God's grace in my life. That's God giving me things that I don't deserve. What's the opposite side of that coin? It's mercy. It is God's hand that stays every punishment that I deserve. It's God's hand that keeps away every consequence of the mistakes and the sin that I make. Grace is that I get to go to heaven. Mercy is that I don't have to go to hell. Grace is the riches that are bestowed upon us both theologically and practically in our lives. Mercy is protecting us from ourselves and our foolish decisions. And guess what? His mercy endures forever. What that tells me is I'm going to continue to make those stupid mistakes. Elsewhere in Scripture, what does it say? His mercies are new every morning. I need them every day. Another dumb decision, I need more mercy. Another dumb decision, I need more mercy. Another dumb decision, I need more mercy. 
I think of God as that big high school boy who sees a little middle school shrimp and says, hey, man, you want to play Mercy? Y'all remember anybody played Mercy back in the day? Nobody? Um, y'all aren't very responsive today. Um, sorry. I, w- I won't be that guy that's like, turn to your neighbor and say, don't, please don't. Your breath is kicking. All right, here we go. Um, mercy. And the big high schooler gets a little middle schooler, hands together, and they start. I look at that, if I'm that little middle schooler, and my hands get twisted, and my wrists get twisted, and what, what do we do? Finally, we give up. What do we say? Mercy! Listen, I look as if sin gets a grip in my life, and it starts to twist. It starts to turn. I get to that point. And what steps in every, every time, every single time? Mercy. Mercy. Hey, thank you, Jesus, because your mercy endures forever. If you come back to the Thanksgiving service tonight at 5 o'clock, brief commercial. Sorry, I woke some people up back there. We are going to teach you a new song. Okay? It's got a really, really difficult title. You ready for it? It's called Mercy. And I'm not going to quote the whole song, even though if I start, I might. But it begins with, I'm living proof of what the mercy of God can do. If you knew me then, you'd believe me now. He's turned my whole life upside down. He took the old and he made it new. That's what the mercy of God can do. We're going to sing that and learn that tonight. I didn't, I think the first time I preached this sermon, I got a little bit more into it and ran around a little bit more. And, but man, today I just wanted to reflect on the greatness of our God. I want to encourage you this week. It doesn't have to be Psalm 138. Maybe it needs to be. But sometime time this week in your private time, open up the book of Psalms and just read it. You say, some of the Psalms are repetitive. They are. As are some of our worship songs. Stop complaining. <laughs> yeah, some of them are a little bit more difficult to understand than others. Some of them seem to be super simplistic. Just find a psalm and read it. And let it minister to you. And just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Show him praise and show him thanksgiving and show him gratitude. If you're here today and you've never experienced the mercy of Jesus, I would still be lost, but for the mercy of God. You see, if you've never experienced the mercy of Jesus, I've got to be honest with you today. I cannot lie to you. If you've never experienced the mercy of Jesus, there is a wage of sin, a penalty, and it's death. And none of us like to talk about death. 
But somebody's got to pay for that, for that sin. You can pay for it on your own. Aaron mentioned it as he was leading worship today. You can pay for it on your own and you can die and you can spend eternity separated from your creator in a place called hell. And I don't want that for anybody. Or you can experience mercy. Jesus came in Mark chapter 1 preaching, repent and believe the good news. The good news is this. The good news is that you need a savior and you can't save yourself. That's actually good news. And Jesus came and he died for you. On that cross, he died for you. He had your name on his heart. You say, you mean me? What about ever? He died for you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me. He freely offers you his mercy and his grace. We must surrender. We must repent and believe. Believe in what? Believe that Jesus and Jesus alone. It's only Jesus. There's no work we can do. There's no money we can give. There's no measure we can meet. Jesus and Jesus alone is the Savior of the world, period. And he can save your soul. If you're, not, if you're here today and you've never experienced the mercy of Jesus, may today be that day. I'm not going to invite you down this morning. But I do want to encourage you today, if that's you and you need to talk to someone, would you please find me after the service? Jeff, raise your hand. Jeff's in the back. Mandy's beside him. Find Jeff and Mandy. My wife is right here on the front row. Aaron's right here to my left. You say, I don't want to talk to you guys because y'all look weird. Cool, find somebody that doesn't look as weird as we do. Find somebody else. We want to talk to you about Jesus because his mercy endures forever. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.